Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining me again this morning on Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I have the privilege of rounding out a wonderful run of Stockton's on the show. A couple of weeks ago, you remember I talked to Christina Stockton, who's no relation to Dave or Dave Jr., though she is one of their students, so we had her. Last week, I had the incredible honor of talking with Dave Stockton Sr., and today I have the privilege of talking to Dave Stockton Jr. He's going to be my guest this morning. Uh, Dave Jr., as is, uh, you know, he's had a wonderful career playing out on the Web.com and PGA Tour. He played from 1993 to 2006, finishing in the top 10 19 times. We're going to talk about his playing days, his work as an instructor now in uh, Stockton Golf when he joins me here in just a moment. But before we get started, I want to kick off the show like we do every week by saluting the brave men and women serving in our military. We want to thank you for your daily sacrifices and all you do to keep the rest of us safe. We also want to thank everybody who has been a veteran or served in every branch of the military and public service. We truly appreciate what you do to preserve our freedoms and our liberties. It's through your strength and efforts that our way of life is even possible. Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It's an honor for us to be a part of what you're doing. You can find our show by going to armedforcesradionetwork.org. We also want to thank everyone listening in on iHeartRadio as well as great radio sites across the Internet like Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, Player.fm, and Blog Talk Radio as well. I also want to give a special shout-out to our good friends, Mike Kovacs, Ben Kerr, Mark Medeski, and the rest of the great staff over at LastWordOnSports.com. Check them out online and on Twitter. Their site's fantastic, folks, I'm telling you. Contains great content across every sport, not just the big four, but every sport. Their staff of writers are wonderful. Uh, You're going to love going to their site every single day to find your sports news. If you haven't been there yet, Check it out and then bookmark it. You can find it at lastwordonsports.com. Plus, if, if someone's dragging you to the mall or to the grocery store or you're tired of the same old, same old on your commute, download the player.fm or Stitcher app, and uh, you can find it on your smartphones. And take us with you everywhere you go. Let us give you something fun to focus on while you're out and about. Our show is brought to you by the great folks at Kyven Foods. Former Bengals and Falcons tight end Reggie Kelly has created a wonderful array of products. His salsas, sauces, and spices are all natural, and they're going to liven up everything you put on your meal. So while your friends at your next house party, your upcoming holiday parties, or your next tailgate party, by adding Kyven products to everything you place on your menu. Check them out online. You can find them at kyven82.com. That's Kyven, K-Y-V-A-N, the number 82.com. All right, now joining me on the Kyvan Foods guest line is Dave Stockton, Jr. Uh, Dave is from Redlands, California. Like his father and grandfather before him, he was an All-American golfer at the University of Southern California. He joined the then-Nike Tour, now the Web.com Tour, back in 1983 and won twice during his rookie season at the Nike uh, Connecticut Open and the Nike Hawkeye Open. He went through Q School in 1994 and earned his tour card, finishing 96th on the PGA Tour money list that season, finishing third twice and totaled three top ten finishes that season. From 1993 to 2006, he tallied six top ten finishes on the Web.com Tour and 13 top tens on the PGA Tour. Following his playing days, he spent a couple of years as a commentator on the USA Network. He's a fantastic instructor now, and when he's not doing that, he's duck hunting with his uh, with his father and his son, and I'm privileged to have him next on the tee with me this morning. 
Good morning, Dave. Thanks for joining me. Morning, Chris. Yeah, glad to be on. Thanks for having me. So, so no duck hunting today? No, actually, I've got a my uh, my daughter's got her uh, end of the season volleyball uh, uh, banquet, so I'm helping my wife set that up, and and um, I'm going to take my son to the course uh, after we're finished this morning, and then uh, watch some college football, and then we're going to drive down tomorrow night. Jake and I are my 13 year old, and uh, we're going to hunt tomorrow morning. <clears throat> ah, tomorrow good morning. for you. Good for him. So yeah. So, so Dave, I read you make a mean duck taco. Now, you're going to have to help me out with that one because, you know, I've got some great relationships with some wonderful cooks thanks to our Thursday night tailgate show. But um, duck tacos, how do you prepare duck tacos? Well, the, the duck tacos, and my favorite is what I love to do. I, I, I've gotten lazy where I just take them to my, uh, my favorite Mexican restaurant here in, uh, in Palm Desert is uh, Fresh Agave. I take the ducks to them, and they make duck fajitas. And uh, with the fajita seasoning, wow. you strip the strip the meat down, just strip it down, just like you'd see fajita meat, and you know whether if the then the duck tastes unbelievable because it's it was flying that day, so nothing's frozen and <laughs> it's pretty good. But you know you strip down the duck and then uh, you know lemon pepper and Greek seasoning and throw a little butter on the pan and and cook it up and uh, it comes out real tender and nice. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Good for you. So, so Dave, you know, I had the, the privilege of also talking, you know, with your father last week, and it was one of those conversations that that I'll never forget. What a wonderful man and what a wonderful guest he was. And, and the week before that, I got to talk to Christina Stockton, who's no relationship to you guys, but someone I know you've been working with. So I'm sort of rounding out a wonderful hat trick of Stockton's over the last <laughs> three weeks. But I'd love to start by hearing, you know, about your father. Talk to me about your father in your own words. Well, um, you know, growing up, I got I got asked all the time, you know, what's it like having Dave Stockton as your dad? And to me, I always thought that question was funny because he's just my dad. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, we grew up uh, uh, hunting and fishing. Uh, if we weren't playing golf, we were always outside. And, and uh, my grandfather who was a heck of a player himself, uh, also owned a sporting goods store. So he taught my dad the love of the outdoors, which in turn my dad taught, you know, my brother and I, and we'd do family trips, excuse me, we'd do family trips. Uh, our vacations were a little different than most families. We we wouldn't go to, you know, the beach somewhere and, and sit and dad would go golf and stuff like that. We'd go safari in Africa or, fishing trip uh, in Costa Rica wow. or Alaska, you know, all over the place doing these family hunting and fishing trips. And uh, uh, it was just a really neat way to grow up and, and um, a lot of, a lot of really quality, great quality time with my dad and my mom did it too. So um, she was always hunting and fishing as well. She doesn't, she doesn't hunt so much anymore, but uh, um we still have a blast, and now with my, you know, with my son doing it, there's another generation that I mean, he he went through hunter safety this year at 12. He just turned 13, and he loves it, and um, we're, uh, you know, carrying on the tradition, I guess you could say. But you know, okay. summers were summers when we got out of school. My brother and I got out of school. We'd we'd go out on tour because my dad always played the summertime because it was hot, and his back didn't bother him as much. Because you know, I'm sure he told you he broke his back when he was 15. Right. And uh and so he didn't play well in cold weather. He liked playing in the hot weather where his back wouldn't tighten up on him and 
And uh, I caddied for him for seven summers growing up. Started when I was 12. And, right. Um, and I uh, I made the mistake when I turned 13 saying, I'm a teenager now, Dad. I'd carry the big bag. Well, the big bags back then were even <laughs> heavier than they are now. And I was not a very big kid back then. So that was a tough one, tough summer, but I made it through. <laughs> but I had a front row seat to, you know, watching the best players in the game, how they got around a golf course. And, uh, you know, I didn't play a lot of junior golf tournaments growing up because I was always on tour. And um, when I did play, I usually got got beat because I wasn't as seasoned as some of the other kids. But uh, um, as funny as I got older, those kids that were beating me weren't beating me anymore. And (laughs) I, I, I wasn't burnt out at a young age, I guess, you know, and, and uh, yeah. just it was a lot of fun. It was a great way to grow up and, and travel and, you know, see the world, really, and get the opportunities that uh, <clears throat> that were presented to me. Um, and even, you know, the 91 Ryder Cup uh, was a an amazing experience. You know, my dad made my brother and I the, his two assistants. It was before being an assistant was a big deal. And, uh, yeah. you know, to us it was. To us it was a big deal, but sure. it was just a... It was a family, family thing, and and uh, it was a great, uh, really a great couple of weeks because he had the guys come in the week, the week prior, um, to learn the course because it was unlike anything that the tour players played, and it was a brand new course. So uh, they came in the week earlier, and my dad said, "Junior, go out and play with them. You go out and play with them." And I was 22; I had just turned pro, and here I am going out, and my partner is Paul Azinger. I felt pretty; it was pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, you know it, it was a blast. So I mean, it's just I feel uh, definitely blessed to have grown up uh, the way I did, and and um, I wouldn't change a thing. It's it, it was a lot of fun. Good, that's that's fantastic. So, Dave, you know, you, you talked about you know, grow, you know being a caddy for your father at such a young age, starting at twelve. I wrote a story that you were caddying for your dad in a tournament in Milwaukee, and. During the third round, he he goes out and he birdies a, a par the par three fifth hole. And after the round, you pulled him aside and told him that he didn't hit the right shot for that hole. Apparently, he had a high shot, and you told him, you know, gee, Dad, that's a that's a back pin. You should have hit a hit a low shot. And that was one of the things that impressed your father. That like at 13 years old, you know, you had that deep of an understanding of the game and how to play the hole. Do you remember that story? <laughs> yeah, he tells that story all the time. That's I think that's funny. He told you. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I just gave him my opinion and, and, uh, you know, it was one of the things I, I had a, you know, what was really cool is my dad, you know, he, he wanted my opinion. He wanted me to, to, to give me my thoughts and, uh, you know, I wasn't, I was never, never been known to be a shy kid or a shy person, (laughs) but I just (laughs) gave him what I gave him my, my, what I thought you know, on that shot. And if I was wrong, he would tell me, but he was, he, you know, he said I was dead on that, at that instance. So, um, you know, it makes, makes me as a, as a 13 year old kid feel pretty good that, Hey, I'm on the right track yeah. and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the right way because so much right. of playing well is, is having your mind in the right place and, and thinking the right way around the golf course. And that's where my dad beat a lot of players was he didn't beat them physically. He beat them mentally. You you talked a moment ago about you know your grandfather and the and the sporting goods store. Now you you made a, a, a trifecta, if you will, of Stockton's uh, being a, an all American golfer 
at USC. How special is that achievement for you and your family to have three generations having been all Americans there? Well, you know, it was it was a it was pretty cool. I mean, um I grew up as a kid, you know, as most kids you kind of grow up rooting for the team that your parents are rooting for. Well, having two generations of All-Americans at SC and as a kid growing up going to the Coliseum watching the Trojans play and and uh just wanting to be a part of that atmosphere and a part of that um family, that Trojan family. I the really, I mean, I got recruited by other schools. Um, you know, Steve Loy wanted me to go to ASU. I would have, I would have won a national championship with ASU uh, with with Phil on the team and Perry Johansson and a lot of the guys they had. And because uh, the year that they won the NCAs, I finished second to Phil in the NCAA, so I think I might have been able to help them. But um, <laughs> I, I always right. wanted to go to SC. I, I was a, a Trojan for life, and uh, you know, it was cool to go there and and. Um, to you know, become an All-American. You know, I, I didn't win the Pac-10s like my. Uh, you know, now it's the Pac-12. It was a Pac-8 when my grandfather won it. It was a Pac-10s when my dad won it, and then uh, I didn't do that. But uh, I finished higher in the NCAs than either one of them did. And and to to make it three generations, they say it was the only three generations in the same sport. I don't know if that's still true, but it's it's pretty cool to have that. Yeah. Dave, when I was kind of going through some of the, some of the things during your your playing days, one of the things mm-hmm. that struck me is you you had the 36 hole league at the Lake Mason Classic back in July of 1999. In the second round, you carded eight birdies, shot 65. But in the article I was reading, it talked about that you know you mentioned struggling that year in part due to you know changing clubs. Talk about the impact that changing clubs can have because I think we've seen other golfers struggle when they've made a switch. Yeah, you know, I actually don't even. I'm trying to remember that tournament. I don't remember. It. It's not good when you're 46. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I think there was a combination. This was '99. Yeah. Uh, so combination of uh, changing clubs uh, to a, a different set of Callaways. I was with Callaway then, and um, I think that and. The, the 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 bigger issue that I look back on now, and I know that that's the case, was uh, my daughter in '98 being born three months premature, and and we lost her identical twin. So we had right. a really difficult time in '98, and um, what I look back on now and realize is that I lost the uh, <clears throat> the the heart to play, really the the drive. Uh, and mentally just didn't really care to be out there. Uh, I wanted to be home with my wife and, and young baby girl. And Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, it, it was, I would say that the clubs were difficult. Yeah, anytime you make a switch, you know, you don't, the thing I tell people is don't make a switch because you're getting paid a lot of money to play the clubs. Because you'll make a lot more on the course than you will with, an, with your endorsement deals. Right. So play the clubs that you're, you know, you're happiest with is the biggest thing. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing for me was not the club switch. It was more where I was mentally because of what we'd gone through in 98. Right, got it. Okay. Um, when you get uptight or feel pressure over a putt, I read that, you know, your father would tell you there are a billion people in China who could care less if you make that putt. Did that <laughs> did that help you and is that something that, you know, you 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 know, put on to to your students to sort of when you see somebody getting up tight, sort of helps them exhale a little bit? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I would never get up tight over a putt because I knew I wasn't ever gonna, I wasn't gonna lose my ball, and I knew where the ball was gonna go and it was gonna go in. But I would, if I, if I got too, uh, trying to be too perfect when I was playing, I'd come back to the ball after my last look and I'd, I'd look at it just a little too long, and, and then I'd roll it, and, my, and that's when my dad would throw out the billion Chinese to care less whether or not you make it or not, and just make me laugh. And I knew exactly what he meant. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's. I mean, there's, there's, you can see people that have tension over a putt, and if they're frozen staring at that ball, they've got no chance. And, uh, you know, it's. They, it's funny how people take less look. They don't take the time to enjoy the look to the hole. When out there, you can visualize the ball going in and stay more in your subconscious. And I'm sure my dad probably talked about this. You know, people tend to stare at the ball and take short, fast looks to the hole because they don't, they don't really want to look out there for some reason. And I don't know if he gave you the dart analogy, but we use it all the time in teaching. Is if no. you're throwing a dart, are you, are you staring at the dart in your hand, or are you looking at the bullseye? Right. You know, and you're looking at yeah. you're looking at the bullseye. And and most people putt; they don't stare out, they don't look out at the hole very long. And one of the things I tell people all the time is enjoy the look to the hole as you set your feet. Because if you're setting your feet looking down at that ball, and you look out at the hole and wonder why you're not comfortable, well, you've lined up to the ball. And that makes as much right. sense as throwing a dart while you're staring at the dart instead of looking at the at the dartboard and seeing the bullseye. That's a heck of an analogy. That's great. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> so to that end, Dave, and I know you and your father, and I talked about this with your father last week. I know you guys did some work with Rory McIlroy, and uh, after the PGA Championship, Rory talked about two swing thoughts. He talked about you know spot and process, and yep. that sort of helped him you know, stay in, I guess, the right frame of mind. Talk about that. Yeah, it was it was after he won the British Open. And uh, uh, okay. we were uh, on a family trip in Vancouver, um, actually on Vancouver Island, and we got to watch the, the final round, basically all of it. And my dad and I were sitting there, and when he got interviewed and said process and spot, we high-fived it because we were, we were so excited for him. And he, he we realized, you know, he's got it. We already knew it before then, but when he said that to the guy, First of all, he's not afraid to give his, like, that was his two words. Those were his key words for the week, process and spot. Most players aren't going to give up what they're, what they're doing that gives them success. Right. Rory's, Rory's perfectly fine with saying, yeah, my two words are process and spot. Process is the routine. That's his word for his routine. And we're big on the routine that you have. Anybody uses, it's, it's a routine that you want to repeat every single time. You don't want your routine breaking down. And the problem is most people's routines break down under pressure and they get faster or slower, they take extra looks, whatever it might be. And his is the same every single time. doesn't matter what how long the putt is, doesn't matter the shot, it's always the same. And then the spot is, uh, is just looking at, a, at an imaginary spot an inch in front of the ball and rolling it over that inch. It's not an alignment thing. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an area an inch in front that you're – you don't have to try to roll it over. The ball is going to roll it over over that spot every single time. And what it does is instead of feeling the pressure of trying to make that five or six footer or ten footer, whatever it is, three footer, four footer, where you're 
as soon as you make contact, everything's moving except what should be. And you're looking up and you're seeing if you're online, you wonder why you miss. If you see it roll over that spot an inch in front, a couple things wonderful have happened. One, the putter's gone through, and your head hasn't come up to watch to see if you've made it. You see it roll over that spot. If you see it roll that inch, then you can go ahead and look, and the ball's on its way to going in. Right. And what it does, it takes away the trying. Instead of trying to make the three-footer or five-footer, and visualize the ball going in as you set up, but when you come back to the ball, that last look coming back, instead of coming to the ball, just stop an inch short and roll into an imaginary spot an inch in front, nothing specific, and roll it over it. And that's what he's doing. And I talked to him at Firestone uh, after the British Open, um, after he'd won, and I said, I tell you what, Dad and I loved it when you said process and spot. And he, I said, it really is working, isn't it? And he said, you know, Junior, it's, it, it's just it's so easy. He said, when I, you know, when I felt a pressure putt or something where I, I felt pressure on a putt, I just rolled it over the spot. You talk about That's simplifying awesome. the process. Because right. <clears throat> he's, he's expected to win. So there's more pressure on him. And all he's done is deflect it away by, I'm just going to roll it over my spot. And no one yeah. knows you're looking an, no one knows you're looking an inch in front of the ball. That's the beauty of it. No, that's fantastic. My dad, my dad likes to say he's the world's greatest one-inch putter. <laughs> <laughs> so, he says that in clinics. We just did one yesterday at Bighorn. We we did a hour clinic and then we went out and played with these guys and and he said it yesterday. Yeah, I'm the world's greatest one-inch putter. Never missed one. And that's all. Every every putt is a doesn't matter the length. Every putt's a one-inch putt. In his right. mind, he sees it yeah. going in, and he just rolls it over his spot. Ah, that's great. <laughs> Dave, I read that when you give a lesson, 90% of it for the student is listening. And you may roll, you know, 25 putts the entire time. Talk about why, you know, the preparation, which is something you, you're sort of alluding to here, but talk about why preparation is actually more important than mechanics. Yeah, well, mechanics are 10% of it, and the mental side and the and the visualization side is 90% uh, to us. Um, the putter is not moving very far. You know, we get the grip the way we want it on the putter, and it's not moving very far, but what's going on in your head usually is way too much. And so what we do, whether we're doing a one-on-one clinic or a lesson or an outing or a clinic with a big group of people, is we, we talk about what our mental process and, and thinking is on the green itself, as we walk on, as we're walking into the putt, because most right. people walk into it. Most people don't know how to read a green, for one. Um, and yeah. uh, let I mean, me raise my hand on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny, and, and we just simplify it, and we get we get people reading reading the putts the right way, reading greens correctly, um, and then we want to see your routine. The first thing we do is give you a you know fifteen footer, twenty footer, and and uh, and, okay, this is to win the, you know, club championship, or this is to win the USAM, or this is to win the Masters. Show us your routine and, and how you read it, and we're just gonna, I'm just going to watch. And they go through, people go through their routine. And there's no right or wrong, but we want to see what you're doing, what we have to work with going in, because so much of what you do before you roll it will dictate whether or not you make that putt or not. Right. And, um, I mean, I don't know if my dad talked about Phil when he first worked with Phil, that experience. Um, yeah, you know where his routine was really not good, 
Um, and, and he had called my dad saying he was lost, and, and I'd never seen him like that, but he, he really was. He was doing way too much. And, um, you know, we spent a couple hours over two days working with him, and he went to the Tour Championship the next week and wins by three. Right. And uh, that's really what told my dad and I, and, and that's, this was oh nine. that was really what told my dad and I that, hey, we could, this is something we could do for a living. I mean, this is, to us, putting is very easy. So if we can, if we can simplify the short game and the putting side of things for people, which where they mostly, a lot of them struggle more with that than any other part of the game, that's where you really cut the shots off. You know, you cut you cut handicaps down, and I mean, I get emails all the time, and it's it's such a great it's such a great experience every time I get one. It's a great feeling of, you know, when I came to see you, I was a 15, and a month later, I'm now playing to an 11. There's four shots in a month. I mean. Wow, it's uh, it, it, I get that stuff all the time, and it, it, you know, for me, the teaching and helping people enjoy the game uh, more, uh, yeah, is more gratifying than anything I ever did as a player. And because if I played well as a when I was playing on the tour, when I played well, I expected to play well because I worked hard on my game to to do that. Right. And if I didn't play well, which was majority of the time, I mean, I, my best finish on, on the regular tour was second. So I was a journeyman. I was a grinder, you know, getting through Q school four times. I was, I did not have job security. I had to, I had to, to, to make it work each year and try to, try to get, you know, get ahead. And, uh, a lot of bad days playing and I don't have any bad days teaching. It sure is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. and, you know, getting certain things in people's lives around the greens and on the greens is, uh, you know, uh, a blessing to be able to do. Sure. I mean, it's got to be gratifying to think that, you know, what you are doing is helping so many people get that much more enjoyment out of the game, right? I mean, you take somebody yeah. to your point from a 15 to an 11, boy, you've made somebody ecstatic, right? You take you right. more strokes off your game consistently. Boy, that's a huge yep. impact, you know. And I think, like, what you're saying is when I'm playing well, I'm playing well, but it's just me. But when I'm yep. teaching well and I'm helping people improve their game, boy, I've got a, a, a much broader impact on the game of golf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's uh, you know, and it's getting you know people just rewire, rewire, rewiring the way they think, and uh, you know, it's 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 definitely an eye-opening experience because most I don't think a lot of teachers don't work on the mental side how you should be thinking. They're thinking. They, they teach more mechanics, and right. you know when it comes when it comes to putting and, and chipping, it's very it's very simple to us, and we and we try to simplify that approach to to uh, people's games that we work with. Now you're whether you're they're, whether they're twenty handicapper, what's that? Yeah, no, no, go on. I'm sorry. I said whether they're a twenty plus handicapper or, or a you know world class tour player, it's it's no different. People have issues, and we just try to simplify those and, and get them, you know, if thinking the right way, if you're thinking the right way, I tell people all the time, I'd rather have you be an A-plus mentally and a C physically, mechanically. Like your, you know, mechanics are, you know, okay, but mentally you're killing it. Who's going to yeah. play better, that person or the one that's a A-plus physically and mechanically but a C in the head? Right. No, I mean, there's no point. question. Yeah. And 
You, you mentioned the grip a moment ago, Dave. Now, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're a proponent of the forward hand press in the putting stroke. Yeah, is that we, right? we we like the the thing we love is is loft on a putter, so you can set the hands forward, press them because you know if you're a right-handed player like myself, uh, my left hand is my direction hand. So, you know, we like to have I both my dad and I have five degrees loft on our putters. And most putters don't come with more than one or two degrees. And if your putter doesn't have loft on it, then you can't forward press. And if you don't forward press, most people release the putter and they flip it with their dominant hand, which is their right hand, and the and their direction hand's pointing up into the left. And that's that's your direction hand's pointing up into the left and not going back to your left hand down your target line with a little forward press, then you're you're kind of flipping it and just hoping you make it. And the putter's releasing, which you hear commentators say all the time, oh, he, he or she's releasing the putter nicely. Or he's mm-hmm. not releasing the putter. It's like to us, releasing the putter is like taking a nail in a wall and releasing a hammer into it. And, uh, you know, we like the analogy more of taking a paintbrush and, and dipping it in the paint. If you're going to make a brush stroke, is your hand going to leave the bristles or are you going to let the bristles, you're going to, flip it and let the bristles get ahead of the handle. I don't think so if you're making a brush stroke. Right. No, that's a good visual right there. <clears throat> and that's so Dave, like Kuchar went, Kuchar's got that, Kuchar's got that longer putter going up his arm. Right. And he was cross-handed. He was cross-handed before that. And he, uh, he, uh, he ran into my dad and I, and my brother was there too. And, um, wanted to pick our brain on the greens. I don't know if my dad told you this. No. And, uh, he uh, he said, I'd, I'd like to ask you some questions on the greens. I'm like, we're like, sure. Well, usually we get the guy that's ranked 185th in putting. He was the previous year in 2010, number one on the money list and fifth in putting. And he wanted to ask us some questions. <laughs> so we were kind of laughing. And we the first thing we said is, which hand's your le- dominant hand or direction hand and which hand's your uh, feel hand? And he said, my left hand's direction, my right hand's feel. We said, perfect. Make a stroke with just your left. And if you can visualize the back of the left, he just went back of the left hand right down the line where the butt of the putter cleared his body on the left side. No flip, nothing. And we were blown away. We said, that's perfect. Explain to us how you putt like this. And he was cross-handed at the time. And if you're putting cross-handed, most of the time that, that left hand kind of breaks, it kind of gets flipped up. It's hard to keep that right wrist angle. You kind of flip it. And... um he could see the light bulb go on in his head, realizing that his direction hand's pointing up into the left. And a week or two later at the LA, at the Northern Trust in LA at Riv, he said, Junior, what do you think of this? And he had this putter going up his arm with about seven or eight degrees loft. And now the back of his left hand just brushes right down his line. And he's done it ever since. So. Yeah. But there's a perfect example of a guy who had a stroke that, you know, the, it was released and flipped up, and he's fifth in putting and number one on the money list. Well, what makes Matt Kuchar so good? Is there any, but mentally, I've never seen him have a bad day on a golf course, at least not outwardly. Maybe inside he's not happy, but on the outside, you right. can't tell he's had a bad day. No, oh, yeah, the smile on his he's face. He's got a great attitude, smiling all yes, the time. It's like, you know. Right. I mean, his best, his his favorite dog could have died, and you would never know it. I mean, he just he's he's just a, a happy guy that that just ah, okay, I'll find it and hit it again. You know, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> find it. That's a great attitude to have. I mean, 
most people live and die on their shots and their throwing clubs and their kittens calling themselves things and everything else. One of the things I'd like to say at a clinic is I'll, I'll ask the group, I'll say, so why do you play golf? And they, you know, you play for exercise, get outside, camaraderie with friends, you know, right. get away from the stress of work, all those things, right? And so right. And they're like, yeah. And, and then I say, okay, well, next time you're sitting at your place of work and you're, look, you're sitting at your desk, call yourself the things you call yourself on the golf course. <laughs> and they just start laughing. Yeah, people start laughing. Right. Because this Dave. positive self-talk is pretty important. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. You know, you know, you've talked about you know the mental side of the game, and people don't spend enough time, you know, in mental preparation and and you know having a good time. You know, is that something you know in 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 your game and in the games that you know you're talking to the, your students? Is that is that the thing you stress? You know, really above everything else, go have some fun, right? The game is supposed to be a fun. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to go out and have fun. Isn't that what it's all about? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, you can go out there and beat your head against the wall. You're not going to enjoy it. You can tell yourself you're enjoying it. You're really not. You're just torturing yourself. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, t- I tell people all the time, and I tell them write it down, is visualize trust and let it go. You know, visualize the shot or visualize the putt. If you do that, you can trust it. And if you trust it, you have a better chance of letting it go. And, um, right. you know, it's like, and that that's a kind of a, something that should be thought of throughout someone's round. Visualize, trust, let right. it go. It's just kind of a there simple thing to do. Right. Because yeah. I still fall into the trap of, you know, I'll have a shot and I'll be overshot. I'm not fully committed to the club. I'm going to hit, but i go ahead anyway. And, and it never works out the way you want it to work Right. Out. No. And, <laughs> yeah. And then I you always, yeah. with you. Yeah. I mean, that golf bag is, I know we play this for sport, right, for exercise, and there's the bag five feet away, but we're not going to go get a new club. We're going to just hit this one harder, you know, or take right. a little off this one, whatever it is. But you're in your mind, <laughs> yeah. you're not fully committed to it. <laughs> right. So, Dave, I'm a big fan of classic rock. I love Van Halen, Journey, the Eagles. And I saw that one of your yep. students is Irvin Azov, who you know has been the chairman and CEO of every major everything in the music and yeah. entertainment business. How's Mr. Azoff's game? Uh, you know, I, I, he, he's, he's got some work. He's working at it a little. I mean, that guy's a busy guy. He goes hard. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I don't see him a ton. He comes down to the desert. He's got his, his uh, house at Madison Club. And, and I see him, and I'll, I'll uh, see his boys as well. And um, uh, uh, one of the funniest days was I was going to give he and his, his boys a lesson out at Stone Eagle and um, little did I realize that obviously he was got the Eagles which is you know right. I mean what a band what a career they've had well he's, he's also you know got the, the One Direction thing going right and uh, and and who all of a sudden I walk out there and there's Harry Styles. Right. And the the funny thing is my daughter, who's 16, loves One Direction, right? So I show up there. I've got my son with me. I'm just in a clinic and walk up on the range and on the putting green. And my Jake, my 13-year-old, he knows who they are and he can see him. <laughs> he just starts laughing. He goes, Serena's not going to be happy, Dad. And my daughter, had, my, da- my daughter had said earlier that day, because she follows him on Twitter and all that stuff, and right. they had put out something 
she she had read on Twitter where she said, "Mom, Harry Styles is Harry's in the desert playing golf." I'm like, well, there's 120 golf courses in the desert, honey. We're not going to go looking for everyone and try to find him. <laughs> well, sure enough, he's there with the Azos, and um, I'm going to help him with his game. And and so my Jake's there. He gets a picture with him, <clears throat> and my dad my dad takes him back to the house on his way back to Redlands. And I live ten wow. minutes from the. I'm, I live ten minutes from Stone Eagle, where I teach, here in the desert. And uh, so he drops Jake off. Well, Jake walks in the door and says. Uh, yeah, I got a. I met Harry Styles. Got a picture with him, and she, Serena about blew a gasket. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you picture a 16-year-old girl who just loves One Direction here, and and then so my phone rings, and I see, I look at it. No, I don't answer it during lessons, but I, and I see it's Serena, and I know what she's calling about, and I pick right. the answer, and she says, she says, Dad, I go, yes, sweetie. She said, How come you didn't tell me you were giving Harry Styles a lesson? I go, honey, I really didn't know that I was going to be giving him a lesson. He he came with the ASOS. I said, here, hang on a sec. I said, Harry, can you say hi to my daughter? And he gets on the phone with Serena. <laughs> and it was, and, and she said something like, is this really Harry? And he says, no, it isn't. You know, he does you know, the English thing. And, and, uh, and she gets back on. He's like, he's like, nice to meet you. And she gets back on with me. And she's like, I want to come out and meet him. I'm like, I don't know how long we're going to be here, honey. And she hangs up with me, and I mean, my wife must have to broke broken every law in the book getting her to the course in about seven minutes. And they're up the hill, and there they are. So, her her picture on her phone is with her and Harry, and and uh, I, I got I got Dad of the Year wrapped up in her eyes. So, yeah, oh, no uh, question. Yeah, yeah, but uh, that was pretty That's good great. stuff. David, just a couple before we we let you go. First, you know, uh, having having had the honor of talking to your father, and he, he's a two-time major winner, won 25 times out on tour. What do we got to do to get him in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> you know, you're, you, uh, enough people are, I think, uh, hopefully it happens uh, sooner rather than later. I think, uh, you know, his, his playing career was solid. Um I think what he's doing teaching wise and, and helping people and, and uh you know the the teaching side of the thing I uh really should put him over the top because he is one of the best instructors in the world and um you know I think he, transitioning from a player and having the career that he had and the Ryder Cup record that he had uh and winning the major championships uh, and now being seen as the the best short game and putting teacher in the world, I mean, uh, I hopefully it happens soon. I mean, obviously I'm I'm biased. I think it should happen should happen yesterday, but uh, right. you know, hopefully this coming year maybe we'll, maybe it'll be the time um, because uh, I think he's definitely deserving. Yeah, there's no question he's deserving, and we you know we can't support the idea of getting him in, into the Hall of Fame hard enough because. You know, everything to your point, not only, you know, for what he did 
on the course and the and the and the and the wins that he had and the majors that he had and the things that he yep. did, you know, you know, off the course with with respect to the, the teaching and all and all the corporate outings that he did to pr- yep. you know to promote the game and all that sort of you sort of it's a it's a total package, right? It's not just yeah. playing. It's uh, you know everything that he has done to impact the game of golf and to spread it around and to improve it and all that sort of stuff. Boy, I, I would think that I would hope that the PGA Hall of Fame looks at the package that he has brought and thinks, you know, boy, we we should have put him in the Hall of Fame by now. And by God, we're going to do it right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think it's going to happen, uh, and you know, like we said, hopefully sooner rather than later, because the, the body of work that's been his life and his career, um, definitely merits it. I think so. Yeah. You know, it's Agreed. it's uh, enough people, enough people like yourself and and others saying, hey, you know, because a lot of times these guys, these older guys, they they kind of slip through the cracks a little bit. And, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, you know, Fred Couples got in with the one major, and and you know, right. he's a popular guy, and and he was more, you know, Freddie Boom Boom the whole thing, and Freddie's great. Um, but you know, overall, the the length of career my dad's had, and what he's done win wise, and and helping people throughout the world, like you said, the corporate outings. I mean, you know, really bringing the game of golf to to. Um, just a the masses, a bigger, a bigger place. Um, he, right. He's made a, he's been a part of that with the, with the corporate side, definitely. And um, you know, as, as his being ambassador to the game that he's been over the years, and um, what he's done with the Ryder Cups and everything. Uh, I mean, he's four and oh, two as a player, one as a captain, one as an assistant. We don't have too many right. of those uh, um, right now because of how we've played over the the last 20 years sure but, uh, right you know and, um, and that's sort of my last question yeah that's what this piece about the Ryder Cup was sort of my last question for you and I talked to your father uh, you know about the success he had and, and like you mentioned that uh, you know both as a player and as a captain as mm-hmm. an assistant captain at the Ryder Cup he gave a lot of mm-hmm. credit you know to Paul Azinger for the way he handled the process back in 2008 and but I'm sure your father played a, you know a big role in that and like you said you know having captain the team is is it time to get the band back together for for 2016 <laughs> the, the group that that did it well in 08. Let's get the band back together and, and bring the cup home. Well, you could, you know, I think, I actually think uh, Freddie's got a pretty good shot at, at being picked of now that things are changing. He never would have gotten a pick before, but um, <clears throat> it needs to be, it, it needs to be more fun because uh, there's so much pressure. I mean, it is, um, you know, and what Zinger did in 08 was just priceless. I mean, he, that was over from the opening ceremony. It wasn't even going to be close. And and only the U.S. team knew it. I mean, no one else knew it outside. <clears throat> Everybody thought, well, we don't have Tiger, and this is going to be brutal, and we're going to have a tough one. And it was it was a thumping. And, and it was because they played right. together as a team, and he gave them, Zinger gave them the best opportunity to succeed. And I think, you know, there there have been captains that, that haven't given uh, their players the best chance to succeed. And the European PGA, they've done it right. I mean, their their captains are assistants for two and three Ryder Cups prior to being captains, and so they're there. They're a part of it. They they they're the they're in the family. And 
I mean, here we are. We're less than two years away. We don't have a captain yet. And I know things are going to change now, but, you know, it's definitely for the better. Things are changing for the better. Um, you know, would Zinger accept it again? Um, I, I'd be great if he did. I mean, I think he what he did was yes. how he put it together and Phil said it as, you know, in his press conference. May not have been the right time to do it, but what he said was true. Why change something that worked and worked perfectly? I mean, it really I, did. And I understand captains want to put their own body of work together and do it their way, and, and you have egos that you deal with and everything else. But, you know, he got the guys to play the best they could play, and, and that 08 Ryder Cup was fun. I, I brought my wife there. And uh, and um, she'd never been to a Ryder Cup before, and I'm like, you're going to love this. It's great. Louisville's awesome, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we get there, and Zinger sees me. He says, Junior, I need your help. I said, yeah, what do you need? He said, can you drive Raymond around this week? I said, sure. <laughs> so I said goodbye to my wife, and I drove Raymond Floyd around for the next four days. <laughs> <laughs> so... <clears throat> I, I call myself, I was an assistant to the assistant, so I I, uh, I was a good cart driver. I didn't have any wrecks. It was great. <laughs> nice job out of you. <laughs> yeah. Dave, before we let you go, t- tell our listeners how they can follow you and your family, both online and over social media. Uh, yeah, you know, StocktonGolf.com. Uh, right. And, um, you know, anybody wants lessons or clinics, outings, things like that, uh, yeah, you can go right there to our website and, and uh that's our, our office there and and then uh you know on uh on Twitter I'm just uh what am I at D S J R one is my uh is my Twitter. So um you know and I opinions on all things, try not to offend anybody. <laughs> <laughs> or be politically correct, you know. <laughs> That's a heck of a picture on you of you on uh, Twitter. What fish oh, is that salmon. you're holding up? That's a king salmon nice. from uh, British Columbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's awesome. That's, I do, my dad and I do that trip every uh, every July. We go up there and uh, <clears throat> with some buddies of ours from Vancouver, and uh, got got into that one from I was down in Cabo uh, after commentating and before teaching. I was doing some real estate stuff down there and. I met this guy from Vancouver, and he wanted to go out with his brother and catch a marlin. They'd never caught a marlin before, and they tried many times. And, I, and I'm laughing. I said, it's September. End of September. It's hotter than Hades down in Cabo, but the striped marlin are everywhere. I mean, you could practically put a net out and catch one. And I tell him, wow. I said, I guarantee you we'll catch, a, we'll catch a marlin today. He says, how can you guarantee it? I said, I know where the fish are. And he kind of looked at me and laughed, and I said, okay, we'll find out. We got a, we caught seven marlin that day. Wow. He's now nice. put that as a fish he no longer wants to catch because he got beat up so bad trying to reel him in. I bet. They wore, they wore him out. So when he sees when anytime he hears a real like that, he kind of <laughs> has a flashback to that day. <laughs> That's fantastic. Dave, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to be here. You're fantastic. I hope you'll you'll come back and do it again. It's been an incredible privilege to have your father and you in back-to-back weeks. You guys are both great. Thanks, Chris, for having me, and uh, anytime, love to be on again. All right. Take care. Enjoy the rest of the weekend with your son, and, and uh, all the best to you and your father, and we look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. 
All right, you too. Thanks, Dave. All right. Great stuff with Dave Stockton, Jr. What what an incredible honor it has been for me to be able to talk to both he and his father in back-to-back weeks. Yeah, great stories, great stuff. All right, folks, before we close up shop, I want to let you know about uh, a great new book that's out there. You've heard me talk about it over the last several weeks. It's called The Golden 18, written by Roger Schiffman, and the photography is by one of our friends and one of the great photographers anywhere on the planet, Jim Mandeville. Jim, I'm sure you know, is the director of photography at the Nicholas Companies. The book showcases some of Mr. Nicholas's greatest course designs. The stories about the courses are wonderful, and the photography is absolutely outstanding. In fact, I'm telling you, it's so good. You're going to want a second copy of the book just so you can take some of the pictures out and frame them. To get your copy, go to nicholas.com and hover over the Products and Partners tab and then click on Books and Videos. If you love the game of golf and just stunning photography in general, you're going to love this book. All right, everybody, it's time to put a bow on this one. Once again, my sincere thanks to Dave Stockton, Jr. for being such a wonderful guest with me this morning. And I can't thank you enough for uh, for tuning in. We appreciate you guys the very most. Please check out our sister show as well, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer, Joel LaGenusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time over on Blog Talk Radio. And you can hear it Friday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Boost Radio and on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Uh, We're joined every week by legends from around the NFL and the CFL, so please check out uh, both shows there. Uh, On Facebook, you can find uh, Thursday Night Tailgate and Next on the T. Give us a like. That's important to us, too, and if you see that we've got a guest upcoming that uh, you want us to get a question on the air for you, we'll be glad to do it. Just let let us know on uh, on either site. You can find us online, nextonthetea.net and ThursdayNightTailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our uh, archived episodes for free and keep up to date with who our future guests are going to be on both sites. I thank you again for choosing to listen to this show this morning. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii. Adding the choice of a crispy chicken BLT to Wendy's 4 for 4 is the biggest thing since rappers trying to sing. I got me out and I sound like a robot. But do you like the sound of this? Wendy's 4 for 4 now comes with a choice of a junior bacon cheeseburger or a crispy chicken BLT. From Detroit to Macon, I keep it crisp like bacon. Both are topped with crispy applewood smoked bacon and come with four nuggets, fries, and a Coke for just four bucks. Oh, yeah. At participating Wendy's for a limited time, meal includes small fries and a drink. Not valid in Alaska and Hawaii.